Good morning. Thank you for joining us today at South Fellowship Church. My name is Jessica. I'm on staff here at South, and wherever you're watching from, we're glad that you're with us today. If you're on Facebook, YouTube, or our online church platform, feel free to tell us hi and let us know that you're here with us today. We also have a digital connection card that you can fill out to let us know you're here and how we can help you connect with the South community right now. If you feel like you need prayer today, click on the live prayer button and someone will be with you to pray with you. Enjoy the service. Hey, South family, Nicole here. I just want to say that I sure do love and miss you all, and I cannot wait until we can get back together and just love on each other. I have the honor of doing our call to worship this week, and <clears throat> I want to do something that we um, do for Celebrate Recovery when we are able to meet face-to-face. -face. And hey, everyone at Celebrate Recovery, I sure do miss you guys. Um, it's been hard. It's been tough without everyone. Um, but I want to do something that we have the privilege of doing every Tuesday night at our Celebrate Recovery. Um, and that's the Serenity Prayer. And um, it's just a very powerful prayer that allows us to walk through life and um, can change the way that we feel and think sometimes. And so I just want to go with the uh, Serenity Prayer and um, for our call to worship. So here we go. God. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace. Taking as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. Trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will, so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. So I really hope that you joined me in the serenity prayer and take a look at how that can work in today's present um, season that we're in. So I love you guys. I miss you. And so let's worship. Let's worship together. Well, good morning, church. Uh, over the last several weeks of this uh, church online situation, I've had the privilege of leading worship with my wife. Well, uh, like many of you moms out there, my wife is also doing the homeschool thing and it just didn't work out for her to join me today. And so um, I didn't want to be all alone in my basement. And since I can't be with all of you, I decided to come into the great outdoors and just engage with the Lord. You're going to have to be a little bit patient with me. There's some incredibly beautiful sounding birds out there. There's also a train somewhere back there. Every once in a while, a plane flies over and I don't have any super fancy equipment to cut all that noise out and stuff. So it's going to feel like we're outdoors, but we're going to worship Him um, and engage with our great God. Come people of the risen King who delight to bring Him praise. Come all to your heart to sing to the morning star shifting shadows of the earth we will lift our eyes to him where steady arms of mercy reach to gather children and sing rejoice Oh, 
that God his son not sparing sent him to die I scarce can take it in that on the cross my burden gladly bearing he bled and died to take away my sin then sings my soul my Savior God to thee how great thou art how great thou art then sings my soul my Savior God to thee how great thou art how great thou art when Christ shall come Shouts of acclamation and make a home. What joy shall fill my heart? Then I shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim, My God, how great thou art! Then sings my soul, my Savior God.
running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my life laid down, I surrender now. I give you everything, cause your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Sing that again, your goodness. Running after, it's running after me. Oh, oh, your goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my life laid down, I surrender now. I give you everything, cause your goodness is running out. It keeps running after me. And all my life you have been faithful All my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able Oh, I will sing of the goodness of God young people of South I'm here on a little rocky beach and as you as many of you know my youngest uh, son that was born in January his name is Micah and I've been looking a little bit at the book of Micah and I had a little reminder for you this morning it comes out of chapter 7 verse 19 and it says you will again have compassion on us you will tread our sins underfoot and hurl our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Now I want you to imagine with me today every little rock that you see right now represents something, maybe something bad that you've done today or this week or so far in 2020. And there's a bunch of them. There's a bunch of them in my life and a bunch of them in your life, but Micah reminds us that God takes these rocks and he hurls them into the depths of the waters. Here's a little picture of what God is doing with, the, with all the little bad things you've done. They're gone as far as the east is from the west. Every little bad thing you've done, Jesus takes it and he casts it into the depths of the waters. Hope you guys have a great Sunday morning. 
Church, this next song is called Love is the Worth of Fight. As we're continuing this series entitled Not Like Me, it's a series exploring what it looks like to learn to love those who are not like us. This song just is an exploration of a soul trying to figure out what the most important things are. And I love this one line, and I want you to tune in on it. It says, and we find what we're made of through the open door. It's not inside the closed doors of a church facility that we find what we're made of as the church. No, it's out in your neighborhoods, where you are now, in your living rooms, with your neighbors, with your friends, with your family members. That's where you find what you're made of as a follower of Jesus. And what are we waiting for? Because love alone is worth the fight. Let this song just challenge you and prepare your heart to hear the message this morning. Trying to find where my place is. I'm looking for my own oasis. So close I can taste this. Fear that love alone erases. So I'm back to the basics. I figure it's time to face this. Time to take my own advice. Love alone is worth the fight. Love alone is worth the fight. I'd come to this, but it seems that I'm finally numb to this. Funny thing about a name is, you forget what the reason you were playing the game is. And it's all an illusion, a 21st century institution. So I'm headed down the open road, I know. And you find what we're made of through the open
Well, hey, South, it's so good to be able to gather together this weekend or whenever you might be watching this, even if it's virtually. I hope you've had a great weekend. We're in this new series that we started recently called Not Like Me, and, and my hope with this series is that we would learn to develop friendships with people who see things a lot different than we do, who disagree with our perspectives even, or um, to help us to learn how to get out of the safety bubble of going to church and being with church and that sort of being our only circle and begin friendships outside the walls of the church that show the love of Jesus to other people despite our differences. And last week I talked about how the church in this season especially has a real opportunity to pave a new path forward, to demonstrate a new, better way in a season like this, to show the love of Jesus, to show a new way to live to a world that's so broken and divided. And one hope I have for this series is that we would really take seriously the words of Jesus. As I mentioned last week, it's, it's one thing to know a lot about what Jesus said, but it takes a, a lot more work to actually do what Jesus said. So I'm going to throw out a question, and I want you to chew on this as I put it on the screen. What if we actually tried to do what Jesus said to do, even if it's really hard? I'll say it again. What if we actually tried to do what Jesus said to do, even if it's really hard. Well, think about that for a second. You know, before we get too far into the series and jump into specific topics about how to talk to people amidst differences with politics or ethnicity or sexuality or, or those sorts of things, I want to walk us through a conversation today about something that, that sets a perspective for the whole rest of the series. And I'm going to hit it pretty hard on the head on a couple of things that will happen to you once you start talking to people about those things. And what I want to do is I want to talk about it and I want to give you a couple of practical tools to help all of us navigate it well. If you have a, a Bible uh, or a Bible app, go ahead and turn to the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 22. Matthew 22 is right in the midst of a, a whole bunch of parables, um, stories where Jesus is telling stories to make some kind of a point. And, and as, as he's telling these stories, there's all of these people around him. There are different kinds of people listening. There are those who are really bought into it. There are those who are just curious. There are also religious leaders. They're, they're trying to figure out what the heck is this guy talking about? And, and they're also trying to trip him up in his words so that they'd have some sort of case against him. One group called the Sadducees, they came to him and tried to trap him in this question about marriage. And you can read about that uh, in Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 23. But Jesus sort of silenced them through that. And there's another group called the Pharisees. And, and, and they were trying desperately to trap him so that they could figure out how to get rid of him. Because he was causing all kinds of problems for them. He was stirring up things. He was really challenging um, the flow of what they were saying. He went against the grain. So the, the Pharisees, they got together and they hatched a plan and they sent one of them, who's an expert in the law, to go test Jesus. And so if you have your Bible or your Bible app, let's pick it up together um, in Matthew 22, starting in verse 36. He says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Meaning of all of the scriptures, all the law of God, what we might know of today as the Old Testament. What's the greatest commandment? How do you distill it all down? Here's what Jesus replied in verse 37. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on those two commandments. Isn't that interesting? 
See, in, in typical Jesus fashion, he refused to be put in a box. He wasn't just going to say, I'm going to accommodate your limited point of view and give you one answer the way that you want. Essentially, he was saying all of God's law, all the Old Testament could be distilled down into two equal things, not just one, and that this was the greatest thing. This was the heartbeat, if you will, of God. Two things, love God with every part of you. And what's the second one? Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, for many of us who have roots in the evangelical church, you know, we've been trained in the first part, really trying our best to learn to love God with all of us, to read our Bibles and pray every single day, to attend church regularly, to give and to, to do all sorts of things that show devotion. But the mistake that a lot of churches make is they equate information, understanding about lots of things, with transformation, with, with equating knowing a lot about the Bible, a lot about God, with, with fulfilling Jesus' desires for his people. See, the culture that this story is born into, it really, um, especially with the Pharisees, they wanted to know the right things and do all the right things. And it was about rules and regulations and information. But, but Jesus cuts through all of that and says the law is summed up really in one word. If you take those two commandments, what's the common word? Love. I mean, the Beatles got that part right, didn't they? What'd they say? All you need is love. Sing it with me. So to know things, to know the right things is one thing. I mean, I know many of you watching. I know my wife and my kids. I know a lot of information about a lot of things. That's the easy part. I can learn those things. But to love, oh man, that is the harder part, isn't it? Because it means that we have to learn to see people with compassion and with grace and to treat them in a kind, compassionate way. And sometimes it's really hard to do that. I mean, you can ask anybody who's been married for a long time. Love takes work, doesn't it? It's not some magical thing that we put on. It takes effort. It takes investment. So, so Jesus ups the ante from, well, love God a lot to equally saying we should, what? Love our neighbor as ourself. Now, the word neighbor might mean a lot of different things to you. It might mean the person next door to you. It might make you think of Mr. Rogers, who knows? But, but in the New Testament, neighbor extended beyond your, your family or your next door neighbor to those in your vicinity. Although it, it can also be your family and your next door neighbor. It could be your coworker in our case. It could be uh, a literal neighbor. It could be someone five miles away who looks completely different than you. It's, any, it's really anyone you might come into contact with throughout the course of your everyday life. And so love your neighbor. Those are the words, red letter words of Jesus. And sometimes that might be easy. I mean, neighbors can be really awesome. Mine are. Um, the people right behind me actually attend South and they're awesome people. We haven't yelled at each other yet. I know there's still time guys, but at least for now we haven't. We, we talk over the fence, home improvement style. But sometimes loving your neighbor is really hard. Maybe you don't even like your neighbor or maybe your neighbor is really weird. You know, maybe you have some weird neighbors or some weird coworkers or you've run across some people in your city that just seem really weird to you. But what happens if someone in your circle is someone that you don't get along with or someone you despise or you see things really different from them? What if there's someone who's uh, someone that you definitely don't want to have any kind of relationship with? Or maybe you even come to be 
enemies of some sort. I mean, we've all heard stories and seen movies about neighbors becoming enemies of one another. Uh, I read this one story on Reddit about this user, uh, about when he was young, a neighbor built a deck that crossed into their yard. The user's family ultimately had to get the city involved to force the neighbor to make the deck smaller, which he didn't like one bit. I can get that. Uh, when the user's family came back from vacation, they found a sign on the neighbor's fence that said, Peekaboo, I see you, and a collection of new security cameras pointed into their yard. <laughs> that is not peace. That is the beginning of a war. Uh, a second thing is I saw this YouTube video uh, where there was this battle between neighbors. And to one-up the neighbor and sort of to stick it to the other neighbor, this neighbor built a 12-foot unsightly fence. See, some neighbors are definitely more like enemies. But if we're going to take the words of Jesus seriously, like we talked about, if we're going to really practice the way of Jesus, it can be really hard sometimes. And I want to show you another passage, something that, that Jesus pointed to. You could turn to Matthew uh, chapter 5, and starting in verse 43, it says, You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain to the righteous and the unrighteous. I mean, that's pretty radical, isn't it? I mean, love your neighbor. And then Jesus once one ups it by saying, love your enemy. See, Jesus is saying, I, I give good things to all people. So why do you withhold love from people you are at odds with? See, love takes work. It takes a a serious investment and taking seriously the commands of Jesus, what red letter Jesus says for us to do, it takes really hard work. And it means that developing relationships with people and investing in relationships with, with, with people um, is required. It's not optional. It's required to live in the way of Jesus, with the heart of Jesus. And, and if we want to be that kind of church, the, the kind of people that model living in the way of Jesus, with the heart of Jesus, who model living in a different way, we have to develop relationships with people that have a different perspective. There's no way around it. But when we do that, it's not always easy, is it? Why? Well, I think because two things will inevitably happen when we start trying to build relationships with pe people who see things very different than us. Two things, conflict and offense. Just look at that. Conflict and offense. You know, some of you, I'm sure you're staring at that first word conflict and you feel your heart beating faster and you, you feel your palms starting to sweat. You, maybe you're feeling a little bit anxious. Others of you, you see the word conflict and you get all excited and you're saying, well, let's get ready to rumble. And then that second word, offense. Well, some are excited because you think I'm about to give a sports analogy. Well, I'm not. I'm talking about getting offended or offending others. You know, some are very easily offended. We live in a culture that seems to get offended over just about everything. And some of you are really good at offending others, and often you don't even know that you're great at it. See, if we take really seriously the call to love our neighbor as ourselves and to learn to love people in a peaceful way, it takes a lot of really hard work. And not learning to deal with conflict, not learning how to deal with off offense can really sabotage what the Spirit of God might be doing in the relationships that you're forming. I don't want to get into the series and talk about specific topics without hitting this head on. Because topics will lead to conflict. They will lead to offense. It's just a part of life. 
mean, conflict can lead to offense. And, and, and the thing about it that's so critical is that offense can sometimes, um, taking offense can sometimes stop a relationship in its tracks. I mean, we've heard stories where people get offended and they don't talk to one another for years, even people in their own family just because they got offended about something and they didn't know what to do with that or they chose not to do something with it. This happens in public discourse too. I mean, uh, in politics, conflict becomes war. There's one side against the other and, and progress, what happens to it? It comes to a halt. I mean, just look at our political system. You know, it's not just there, it happens in our homes, it happens in our marriages, it happens in our workplaces. So this is actually really relevant to all of us before we even think about going out into the world and, and loving people who might be different than us. But listen, make no mistake, if you just surround yourself with people just like you, who believe just like you, who think just like you, who don't ever disagree about anything, that's not living in the way of Jesus, with the heart of Jesus. And so what I want to talk about today is those two things. And I want to give some practical things that we can do to, to navigate conflict and offense well. And I want to warn you, you're not going to get away today without having to do some examination. I'm going to ask each one of us, myself included, to take an honest inventory of the relationships in our lives and the the condition of our heart. So let's, let's dive in and talk about conflict. You know, conflict is something that most people would love to avoid. Me, me in my 20s, I would do just about anything to avoid it. I would take a different entrance to a building if I knew I could have conflict with someone one there. I would just hold my tongue and not state my true opinion uh, because I was afraid of conflict. And you know, I've worked with a ton of leaders over the years and I've seen that one of the biggest gaps in leadership is the avoidance of conflict. And the reason is most of us hear that word or we see that word or even our experience with conflict and we, we label it as bad. And, and like I said earlier, just saying the word conflict, just thinking about having to be in conflict makes a lot of people really anxious. But as I moved into my 30s and I started doing some, some deeper work in my life, I started realizing that I was missing out on some of the, the joy that life had to offer just because I saw conflict as an obstacle as a, as a battle. And I realized after, after some work around that and through some just, just hard experiences in life that conflict isn't something to avoid. It's something to engage in a healthy way that makes the world better. I know Teresa is going to beat me up for using such mixed formatting on uh, that slide, but I, but I want us all to get this. That conflict isn't a bad thing. It, it can actually be a really good thing. It can really move the needle in relationships. It can cause us to grow together. It can make us stronger. It can help us find ways of, of having commonality among us. When I'm doing premarital counseling and I hear a couple say that they don't ever fight, they don't ever argue, they don't ever disagree, I gotta be honest and just say it gives me real pause. It gives me real concern about the health and the depth of their relationship. See, conflict's not a negative thing unless we make it that way. Conflict just simply means that there's a difference between us. And we're so ingrained with this idea that we should eliminate differences, that we should eliminate tension in our lives, that we avoid something that can actually bring a whole lot of beauty. You know, in a team, conflict can generate better ideas by pushing one another, by, by working together and, and discussing differences. The best ideas sometimes rises to the top. And I've come to see conflict as one of the necessary parts of growth, one of the necessary tools that God uses uh, to help a healthy relationship grow. We're going to disagree. That's going to happen, isn't it? You might be disagreeing with me right now. 
We don't have to agree, agree on everything, but, but listen, like I said earlier, conflict isn't something to avoid. It's something to engage in a healthy way that makes the world better. Now, the key word there that I really want us to take away is healthy way. You know, some people, they totally avoid conflict. That's not helpful. Others on the other end of the spectrum, they love conflict and in the process, they bulldoze over people, they hurt people. That's not healthy, that's not helpful. Listen, if we're gonna take seriously the command of Jesus to love our neighbors as ourselves, we have to be ready for conflicts along the way. We can't just go with no plan and hope that conflict doesn't happen. By very definition, it's going to. So you, you can't form a relationship with someone who doesn't fully agree with you and not expect to have some kind of conflict. It will happen, but it can be done well in a loving, in a compassionate, in a gracious way that, that propels the relationship and the conversation forward. And that's what I'm talking about. Why I wanted to talk about this today instead of waiting so that you know this, so that you're working on it ahead of time. So how do we learn to do conflict? Well, what I want to do is I want to give uh, four practical things to handle conflict and offense. Well, and I really want to encourage you to write these down. They're practical. They're probably hopefully easy for you to remember, but I want you to write them down and I want you to chew on them because if you can get this down, then when we move into having you know, conversations with people who see things really different than us, you'll be armed and ready to go in the best of ways. Four things. First thing, see conflict as an opportunity, not an obstacle. See, again, for so many people, they, they see conflict as something to be avoided, right? Not embraced. But, but if we could shift our thinking, if we could, instead of seeing it as this thing I should be afraid of and a direction I don't want to go. Um, if, if we could just shift it to seeing it as simply acknowledging our differences and with, with mutual respect, working through them together, conflict could be a really powerful thing in your life. Remember, conflict can lead to innovation and productivity and a depth of relationship far beyond your imagination. And conflict stretches us. It forces us to think about things in a different way. And we all need that. We need people to see things differently because not, not always is the way that we see it the right way. Am I right? So I want to encourage you to, to take note of your emotions when you engage in conflict. And don't let your emotions start to wallop within you to the point that it, that it takes uh, an obstacle um, out of an opportunity because it should be an opportunity and you make it into an obstacle. You know, I know a lot of people who've done a lot of deep therapy work to learn to recognize their emotions and learn to do that well. And, and for some of us, that might not actually be a bad step to step into therapy with a good counselor. You know, handling conflict in a healthy way is one of the highest indicators of an emotional intelligence. And so I just want to encourage us all don't be afraid to push into that, to rewrite the script in our brain that conflict is an opportunity not an obstacle. And the parts of us that protest that to do some work around that, let the Spirit of God redeem that part of us so that we can engage in a healthy conflict. The second one, this is really important. Make your goal to grow the relationship, not to win. I'm going to say it again. Make your goal to grow the relationship, not to win. You know, it's a huge mistake to make conflict a competition to try to one-up the other. See, Jesus that's not the way of Jesus. He was selfless. He modeled for us what caring for the other looked like. He, he, he showed that love, there's no greater love than laying down your life for someone else. And he did. And that is the way of Jesus. See, that's not competitive. That's not one-upping. It's selfless. 
See, if you make your goal in a conflict to win a battle, you're ultimately going to lose that relationship. And you'll never let people see the way of Jesus and the heart of Jesus through you. And that's the whole point about going outside of the walls of the church to love people well. See, intellectual battles, listen, they don't ever win people to Christ. They don't do that. It's the Spirit of God that draws people to Christ, and it's His love. It's His kindness demonstrated through His people that does. See, we've got to separate this idea. We've got to set aside our, our desire to be right in order to, to nurture this relationship and earn the right to share about Jesus in His way. And listen, some of us really need to do work on this, so, so don't blow this off. Don't blow that off at all. Don't try to win. Invest in the growth of the relationship. Do the work. Let the Spirit of God really shape you to reduce that competitiveness and watch what it does to your relationships. Third thing, approach conflict as a peacemaker and in love. You know, in Matthew 5, during the Beatitudes, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, so they'll be called the children of God. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. So, so for some of us, you know, that idea of peacemaking comes easy. I think of my friend Dan Elliott. He's a peacemaker. It comes easy. He, he's always looking to find commonality. He's just really, really great at it. For some others, though, it's really hard, especially if, if maybe you're the type of person with a really combative nature. The idea of being a peacemaker is like way out of your brain. But if we're going to take Jesus's command seriously, we have to operate in love as peacemakers. And, and part of formation into the wholeness in Christ is letting go of some of those rough edges and saying, you know, well, that's just how, how I am. That's not acceptable. That's not someone who's trying to live in the way of Jesus, with the heart of Jesus. I see someone who doesn't know Jesus. I totally get it. But someone who claims to love Jesus, but is unwilling to work on the brash side of them, that makes me question their relationship with Jesus. So do the work, do some work on that. So what does it look like to operate in love. Well, I want you to listen to the words of Paul, the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 3. Just, just listen. He said, put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, put the, these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called to in one body, and be thankful. I mean, there is so much richness in this passage. I want to challenge you to print it out or highlight it in your Bible or your Bible app and to meditate on that, because that really is the way that we're invited to love people well, to to, to, to do that, to live those things out. And maybe I'd ask you this question, is that the way you approach people when you disagree? If they read that description right there from Colossians 3, would they go, oh, that's definitely how that person approached me. He's saying put on, and he's saying it's like a, like a garment, like a robe, like an outfit. Put on a compassionate heart and kindness and humility and meekness and patience. He tells us to bear with one another. He says to put on each of these and to forgive one another, and, and above all, to put on love. Love is that thing that binds it all together. Listen, I could give you intellectual points all day long, but, but the best thing you could do is to embrace this posture. The best thing you could do is to take these words seriously 
and to prayerfully ask Jesus to make that real in your life and in your heart and in your approach with other people. And then the fourth thing, how to handle conflict and offense. Listen, make it right when you don't get it right. I like saying that. It's easy to remember. Make it right when you don't get it right. Listen, friends, we're going to mess up in relationships, aren't we? We're going to hurt one another. We're going to offend one another. That's just a part of being in community with one another and with people in our workplace and people in neighborhoods as we come into contact with them. And when we do, we need to go to people and apologize. We need to ask for their forgiveness. We need to do whatever it takes to not continue to do that thing that offended them or hurt them. Choosing to ignore it when we offend people and we know it can and will destroy relationships. So what do you do if someone offends or hurts you? Do you post about it on Facebook? Do you blog or tweet about it? Do you call and gossip to 20 people about the thing that happened? Listen, gossip is talking to someone about something who is not a part of the solution. Gossip is talking to someone um, about something who's not a part of the solution. And I would say, is that living in the way of Jesus, with the heart of Jesus? Is that what that looks like? Well, hopefully you'd agree that the answer is no. Look at Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. He says, If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault, just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, take it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, Treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. I can't tell you how much it, it grieves me so much that in a world where people just slam one another for any and every mistake in very public ways, the church often doesn't look that much different. See, the scriptures are clear. Listen to me. If someone offends you, you need to go to them and tell them that they've offended you. Um, not go to Facebook or 20 people, whatever. If, if they listen, great. If they don't listen, then take one or two others along. And maybe that's an elder or a pastor or a close friend that would go with you to talk with them about it. And then if they don't, then go to the church. And I want you to know that if you're in conflict with someone and you're offended, the elders are willing to go with you and to try to bring peaceful resolve with that person. It's not, I'm offended. You're dead to me. I'm blasting you. It's going to someone and talking it over and attempting to bring resolve, you know, even if you need to get help from a couple of trusted people. That's how we de deal with offense. I want to end with the words of Paul again as he continues to teach us how to live among one another and to move past offense. Because again, conflict and offense are going to happen, but he's teaching us the posture that we need to adopt, the, the mindset of Christ. Ephesians chapter 4 tells us to let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. What if we really attempted to follow the words of Scripture by, by loving our neighbors well? What if we took that Colossians 3 passage, that Ephesians 4 passage, and we really tried to live them out? It would be really hard to do. But what if we really worked hard to try to make love the greatest apologetic, to try to put on that garment that looks so much like Jesus, it does look like Jesus, I think it would be beautiful. Hard, but beautiful. And I don't know about you, 
but I'm willing to try, and I'm going to try. I'm not going to get it right, but I'm going to keep trying. And listen, if you really want to take this seriously and try to live these things out and grow during this series, as we start pushing into some kind of difficult, tense topics, you know, Pastor Yvonne and her team, they've created um, a new way to do this in community with what she's calling a next level group. And it's super easy to do. You can just grab your family, a few of your closest friends, you can grab maybe your neighbors, coworkers, or your life group or whatever, and you can form a next level group. And it's, it's simply just inviting everyone to read the book, Not Like Me by Eric Bryant, and support one another and to encourage one another and to really try to live in the way of Jesus, the heart of Jesus, to, to really try to live this out um, and take courageous steps in his way during this season. You can just fill out that form box in our, in our chat box on the web or on our website, and we'll send you digital materials. We've got everything you need, turnkey, to get that started. So there it is, four things to navigate through conflict and offense. See conflict as an opportunity, not as an obstacle. Make your goal to grow the relationship, not to win. Approach conflict as a peacemaker and in love, and make it right when you don't get it right. So I want to ask you this morning, which of those stick out to you the most? Something you might need to work on. You can't move forward being the church without taking this seriously. It's a requirement. For some of us, we've got to reframe our relationships with conflict and, and learn to see it as an opportunity, not an obstacle. For some of us, we need to let the competitive nature go and make our goal growing the relationship and not to win. For all of us, we need to approach conflict as a, as a peacemaker, as Jesus so clearly says, in love and, and to make that Colossians passage the garment that we wear every single day through the power of the Holy Spirit. For some of us, we need to make it right because we didn't get it right. Or we need to give someone else the opportunity to make it right by talking with them in humility about how they hurt or offended us. And here's the thing. We've all got work to do in these areas, every single one of us. And so my question this morning is, are you willing to do the work? Are you willing to do the hard work of learning to do this well, to try to have relationships with people who see things different than you for the sake of Jesus and his kingdom in order to make a path for others to know and experience the love of Jesus in when you, even when you don't always see eye to eye? So I want to challenge us all to pause and to reflect and let the Spirit show us what we need to do, but beyond that, have the courage to take action. Maybe to read that passage, maybe to memorize and ask the Holy Spirit to make it who you are, to make it right with people that you've wronged by calling them. Maybe right after this service, you need to call somebody. You need to confess to them that you wronged them and ask for forgiveness, not just people in church, but your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers, or people that you have offended in some way. Or maybe you need to pick up the phone and talk to somebody who's wronged you and give them the opportunity to make it right, clothed in humility and love. Listen, South, my hope in this series is that we'd take practical steps toward getting outside of the church walls, out of our safe little you know, Christian circles, and get out to show the love of Jesus and to invite people into his kingdom. And I'm convinced that if we'll take Jesus seriously, if we'll take his words seriously, if we'll love our neighbors as ourselves and, and start learning to push through conflict and to bring healing where there's offense, if, if we're willing to do those things, then man, God could really use us to turn the city upside down with the love of Jesus. I want you to pick one step 
you can take to grow in this, to make things right and to allow the spirit of God to continue to shape you into the humble, compassionate person that God calls us, commands us to, to be the kind of person that God can use to help us love others well and to live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus. Would you pray with me? Jesus, our heart is to love you well and to serve you well and to help people see you, to invite people to live in your way with your heart. And we know that that is that the currency of the gospel is relationships. You called us into that, and we also know that it can be really scary. The conflict can be really hard. So would you just, Holy Spirit, give us strength, give us peace, give us courage, and shape us, as Colossians says, people filled with compassion. Let us put on the garment of Christ, to be in the mind of Christ, to live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus. Make that who we are. Continue to form us into you. And it's for your glory and for your name. And we ask all of this in the strong and the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, it's springtime in Denver, and that means it's time for pulling weeds. Weeds start to choke out the life of other living things around them and they threaten our gardens from flourishing. You know, Larry just challenged us to make things right with others. This is so important for our flourishing, both for our individual selves and for God's church. If we let the weeds of sin in our life and our relationships go wild, they choke out our ability to flourish during this season, to grow healthy and strong in the way of Jesus, to live with freedom and abundance in God's kingdom. But you know, weeding is not always fun. Sometimes it's hard work. But I know that if I don't get out here, that the health and hopefulness of my future garden will be threatened. So we want to take this moment to turn to Jesus because he is the one that's made it possible to pull the weeds of sin in our lives. To let him come into the garden of our souls and to let him clean it out. You know, there are plenty of weeds in our lives. We could name so many that root up from ungodliness all the fear and anxiety and frustration, the strife and relational tensions that we have, the things that really choke out the life from us. So I want to ask you one question, and then I would love for us to confess together. What sin has been choking out the life of flourishing for you? Let's just go to the Lord and confess that together. Lord God, we know that there are weeds in the gardens of our soul, things that so easily entangle us and keep us from living the life you've created us to live. God, we are sinners and we are in need of your help. So Lord, please come 
clean us, forgive us of those moments of, of ungodliness where we've tried to live and do life without you. Lord, forgive us for being upset or fearful or overwhelmed by the life and the way that life is playing out right now. Lord, forgive us for the ways that we have hurt others. And Lord, give us forgiveness for those who have hurt us. God, we come to you knowing that you are the only one who can remove these weeds of sin in our life because you've paid the price for them. You've opened the doors for us to be freed from those weeds. So Lord, we invite you into those places of our soul this week. And we ask that you would free us, heal us, cleanse us from within. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, I come and I confess bowing here find my rest without you I fall apart you're the one that guides my heart Lord I need you oh I stand I'll fall on you cause Jesus you're my hope and stay
righteousness, oh God, how I need you. Hello, South Fellowship. My name is Rich Obrecht, and I served on the search committee. Welcome to my home. After working together as a team for the last eight months, we're excited to let you know in this final report that we've narrowed the field down from 216 candidates down to our top three. We've entrusted these candidates to the elders and had our final meeting with them on April 20th. As the elders go through their process, we'll be available to them for information they might need. But we've accomplished the goal we set out to do last August, which was handing off great candidates to the elders. And what a journey we've had together. Being part of this team has been a deep blessing to all of us. As you might expect, there were rough patches and bumps and potholes. But as we encountered those tough times, we prayed together, let things settle, and returned until they were resolved. What a blessing. We walked through uncertainty, conflict, a lot of fatigue, and sorrow as we had to release candidates we'd grown to care about and to admire. What a comfort it's been to entrust them to our good God, who will faithfully lead them. None of this would have happened had we not had the support of our families. We're so grateful for them and we're so thankful for them for their sacrifice and the support. As I said, we wouldn't have been able to accomplish this without you. Thank you very much. Self-fellowship, we're grateful for your patience, your prayers, and your support. Thank you all. We're walking away feeling humbled to have served on this team. Thankful to God for the ways we've seen him move. We're especially excited about the future God has for South. Just as he has led and moved in the past, he's doing the same now. It's because of his faithfulness that we passed these gifted pastors who love Jesus, are passionate about his kingdom, and are deeply excited at the prospect of joining our community and serving our body as our lead pastor. Elders, please know we're praying for you. May the Lord lead you in wisdom, discernment, and unity as he moves in and through you on behalf of his church. We love you, South. Have hope and be encouraged. Our God is good. Thanks for joining us today at South Fellowship. If you're watching this live, feel free to hop on one of the Zoom rooms that we have after the service. We have one for adults and one for kids. The links will be posted in the chat feature. And if you're new, please join us at the Meet the Staff Zoom room. We would love to get to know you and share a little bit about our heart at South Fellowship. If you're watching on Facebook, you can like, comment, and share. And if you're on YouTube, feel free to like, comment, and subscribe. Have a great rest of your day.